Nick. So Jess. I was the firstborn. Okay. In my family. Yeah. And I didn't know this because I was too young to know this. But I referred to my mother as Patty. (laughs) 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 Because everyone calls her Patty, right? Uh Uh-huh. Makes sense. So, so, Patty, hey, Patty, could you, Patty, could you, I'm I'm hungry, Patty, or whatever. And I come to find out years later, she refers to her mother as Katie. So, like, she, Katie... Get, you know, so like they they use their first name. It's so demeaning. And I still even use my mother's first name when I'm like super annoyed or trying to remind her that I'm a, an adult. So anyway, my brother comes along. It goes me, my, me, my brother and my sister. We're like Irish twins, but basically 18 months between all of us. It's like we might as well have been born at the same time. My brother comes along and I was like, hey, Patty, hey, Patty, 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 hey, Patty, could you do this? I'm hungry or whatever. And by the time, like, probably the first words he could utter were, not Patty, mom. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. He was like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Not Patty, mama? mom. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that started the long-term relationship where, well, Joe said I shouldn't do that. So I guess I should <laughs> listen. He, he, he's, the, he's the great mediator. He's the great arbiter. Mm. Yeah. Oh, from a young age, he knew. Yeah. He could see the friction you were causing. Oh, my God. To the point where I got in a fight with my sister on Saturday and then the obligatory call from him on Sunday. Just check it in. How are you doing? Uh, you know, <laughs> just say we all have a role to play. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's important to have that peacekeeper in the family. Are you? You're not the peacekeeper, right? And out of uh, your brothers? Well, there's no need to keep the peace. We're all pretty chill. Um, I mean, growing up, we were four boys, so we, you know, beat the shit out of each other on a regular basis, but, and I usually took the bulk of it Mm. until I realized I could smack, you know, smack them in the face with a, (laughs) with an object, like a tennis racket and it would hurt. Oh my God. Um, but, uh, but no, as adults, there's no, fortunately, there is no disagreements. We're all pretty chill. And, um, but I would say that there like we do have different personalities in that we you know if my dad were to like divide up tasks he could do it according to our personalities wow. and my my personality and one and my brother paul uh were we have more heart in a sense oh. a a more, a emotion more. on the surface of yes yeah yeah, I shouldn't say they all have. We all have heart. Squishy. Say, You're more squishy. We're more attuned to human. You're more yeah. weak. Yes, we're weak. <laughs> <laughs> we may be more to like. I. I mean, I definitely was very, you know, attuned to to my mother and her feelings, and whereas you know, uh, Greg. Well, they all. I mean, they all have their own. Everyone has their own way of interacting, but. And maybe I was a mama's boy because I was the youngest and she, I was, you know. They dote on, on the youngest. Yeah. Oh, but just... I also, I also had an ability to like, you know, sense when she was feeling certain ways. Whereas my other brothers, maybe not, if they could sense it, maybe just didn't do anything about it. Um, whatever. But they are also, you know, more successful in life. So we, what did they go? <laughs> What are you going to do? I do think there is a, 
I like our parallels as, I think I was the more, I don't know if I was the more squishy, but I was, the, I, I was, I knew how to see emotions and manipulate them. So that was definitely attuned in a different way. Oh. But, yeah. but I, my, my brother's on the wandering streak of things, but I am the, the enigma or like the don't need to see, I don't know, like I don't have my shit together in the same way that they all do sort of so i there's you have your shit together what am i trying to say i'm trying to trying to make you me so that i feel less bad (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but i do have a couple interesting things that i wanted to talk to you about today so i'm going to remind you if you're comfortable you teased us with your um hitting a wall breaking into uh adulthood sure yeah story story Mm -hmm. i'm ready for that okay um i want to talk to you about tv shows today okay and and then we'll just see what else happens sure yeah sounds good great yeah Yeah. okay great well just as a reminder for those the hitting the wall thing is about that quarter-life crisis that you know that you had talked about that there's a point in the brain development where it starts to realize that long-term uh, development. Yeah. That, uh, there's responsibility and that, you know, <laughs> if you don't start making changes, you could die. And... Well, that's the return of Saturn part. You know, I think, yes, every time you make a bad choice, if you skate away with your life, you're pretty lucky. Well, I guess it's just the realization that like, Oh, that life is terminal and right. Um, yeah, I think if we think about it, if for those that don't like astrology, and again, I don't put a lot of faith into it or weight into it, but it's for people who didn't know that about the brain, the return of Saturn seems to fit into that slot really well. Like if you didn't know that about the brain, but you're seeing a bunch of people get spun out in this like crazy turn of events and die or whatever. (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, I mean, what is the age where most... Uh, I say, I probably say rock stars have died. Do you know this? Do you know the age where most rock stars who have died tragically? So they use that to talk about Return of Saturn too. Uh, so 27 is the age yeah. and Return of Saturn returns in that year. And I forgot about this fact. So thank you for, rem- for reminding me. Um, what that means is that they had already lived a full life. Mm. They had already done it to the hilt. So they're like, great, your path, you did it. <laughs> Which I'm sure is crazy to think of it that way. Because wouldn't you love to have Janis Joplin right now? Or Kurt Cobain? Sure. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, Jeff Buckley. Uh, did Jimi Hendrix die at 27? Yeah. Uh, Buddy Holly, did he die at 27? What's I don't know. That was, plane... that was a plane. That was a was a helicopter crash. Um, so that wasn't like an overdose or a... There is a part of me that's sad that I didn't die at 27 because that means I haven't been living a <laughs> No, I don't think that's what that means. Oh, my gosh. So, Nick, Nick are you part of... Have you heard about the news of the stinky art, stinky actors? Have you heard this? No. So there's a 
there's a contingent of actors who have come out recently and have copped to not taking showers or bathing their children until the stink has arrived. Oh. Till you... the stink has arrived. Why yeah, is this a thing? Is so this... this is a thing. Cause I don't know I don't know how it came out. Let me see if I can find it. Uh and I'm really sad. Well, I'm not sad because it's all personal choice at the end of the day. But it's one of my favorite people on the planet. They betrayed you by not showering? No, it's just... <laughs> yeah, it's going to sound weird to say that. But yes. <laughs> not really. Of course not. Um, Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard. Wait for the stink before bathing their children. Okay. Okay. They, they wait until they can see the dirt on them. Okay. Oh, well, before bathing their children. That's different before doing it themselves. I think that's... that. Then they go on to say when to ask, ask to be clarified. Well, maybe it's not. My friend Scott was saying that they go on to talk about, oh, by the way, did you know that we started the cryptocurrency trend and that then Dak Shepard had Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher on to talk about cryptocurrency? Oh, of course. They're totally stealing our material. 100%. I know. I knew it. They were listening. I know, I know they're listening because our dynamic is great. Uh so, but but Ashton and Mila do that as well. So, like, there it's a similar it's a similar practice because it's important to start educating people. I mean, this is a uh, this is kind of like a it's a new phase in industry. We'll say it's a new phase in industry. And it's important to spread awareness because most people don't understand it. Uh, I didn't understand it until a year ago, and I still don't fully understand it. Um, and that we don't need to bathe all the time. Is that what you're getting at? That's exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. Oh, you didn't think I was talking about cryptocurrency, did you? <laughs> oh, okay. No, no, no. Once the pandemic hit, I just stopped yeah. cleansing myself altogether. <laughs> Thank God for bubbles and things because they brought me back. Do whatever you want. But when you wash your shelf, your shelf, <laughs> when you wash your shelf, be sure to use bubbles and things soaps. I, I was going to take a quote from Ashton Kutcher. He said, now here's the thing. If I can see the dirt on them, clean them. Otherwise, there's no point, Kutcher shared. I wash my armpits, I wash my armpits and my crotch daily and nothing else ever. I got a bar lever 2000 that delivers every time, nothing else. So just take that sentence and add instead of lever 2000, bubbles and things soap and you got it made. So he washes his nasties and then, and that's it. How's right? that possible? How? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I don't know if that's fully true or not, but... I'm sure he's being a little funny. But, uh, so, you, so anyway, so what you're... Did they say why? Did they ever say why? Uh, there was one uh, point that there wasn't a lot of, like, maybe not 100% wealthy as a child. Um, so that kind of, that kind of informed their behavior as adults. So... Uh, let me see if I can see it here. Uh, we bathe. This is what Shepard, Jack Shepard said. We bathe our children every single night prior to bed is like the routine. And then somehow they just started going to sleep on their own without the routine. And by George, we had to start saying, hey, when's the last time you bathed them? <laughs> That's really interesting. I don't know if it's really interesting. It's just 
you know, then, then the rock comes out and says, I take a shower three times a day, you know, look, everybody's different here. So it's interesting when it comes to kids, right? Because, you know, most people do make bath time a part of their, their bedtime routine and you should wash, you wash your child every day. But the counter argument is to that is, you know, there's a lot of people out there that think we wash too much, like, like scientifically yeah. we're washing off too much bacteria yeah especially with when we use these harsher soaps antibacterial soaps um sometimes we're washing off good bacteria um so you know <laughs> it's partly out of laziness for us but we don't we don't wash clem every day partly because <laughs> it's impossible so we actually do subscribe to this rule but um, but not purposefully <laughs> not Kind of purposely because because we also do like we do also like overwashing. I mean, who who are you doing it for? You're doing it for yourself, you know. I think I do think like you don't necessarily need to wash your hair every day. You don't. There's certain things you don't necessarily need to wash all the time, but we as a society have gotten into the habit of it. Um, I think also inadvertently i too wait for the stink by the time where i'm like fuck or like my hair i can smell my head <laughs> it's like it's time <laughs> and, and but i think it's out of laziness too but but i too have read the studies where it's like we we wash too much or you know uh that being said when i do bathe i i love lathering myself in the cornflower soap of bubbles and things so well that's the thing for me like it's not about getting clean or not it's about the experience of being in the shower and that for me if i'm going to want to have a nice productive day i need that that's my wake up routine i like that shower. which is fascinating well not fascinating because again there's not you can't put too much weight into astrology but i i, th- I always like to think that i don't love showers because of my earth signness. but you you must have a, a water sign in there somewhere oh you don't how do you not love a shower i like it when i'm in there and i like the pool when i'm in the pool i like the ocean when i'm in the ocean but the idea of going from extreme temperature changes is very upsetting to me mm, <laughs> that nice. like it's just tough just get a mild temperature water i i understand and but that's still like a jarring transition i just just the transition is I, I still have yet to fully formulate the words around that experience for me, except that it's not pleasant. Mm. So mm. it it feels like more work than it like like to get into something react relaxing than it does to just like it just becomes perfunctory. And then when I'm there, I'm like, this is great. I love showers. Blah, 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 blah. You know. And I, <laughs> I don't know. It's so strange. If that's I don't know. It feels like a job, kinda. Sure. Anyway, I mean, I will confess, I don't shower every day. I'm very dirty right now. My hair, but that's this is due to the to the pandemic and and raising a a child. Yeah, I think if I had my druthers, if I was going to perform, I would take a shower. I like to be like free of the world's sins before I go on stage and take on a new life. That was pretty so bu- poetic. So bubbles and things is a religious experience for you. At it's this like, point, yeah. It's the hand of God rub- rubbing your body. It's like how door it's like how Meisner actors love using doors. I like using soap to improvise. 
<laughs> Go to bubblesandthingsoaps.com and use the YDK Nick, uh, you know, code at, at the checkout and see if you get a discount or something. That was the smoothest read you've ever done. You know what? I realized I had been saying you don't know Nick or YDKN Nick. I have been saying it wrong. So I just remembered that it was the right one this time. We're really so what professional. is the right one? YDK, YDK Nick. Nick. Great. Uh, why I chose that, I'll never know. <laughs> Should have been YDK and Pod. Should have been that. <laughs> but I was like, oh, YDK Nick is really funny. Well, I think we're still like getting into that transition of like, ooh, what are we going to be? We're we're YDK and Pod now. Oh, in my our, mind. That's our, well, that's okay. a, that's a simple way to say it. So great. Like people say my bam bam, which my brother, my brother and me. And it's like my bam bam, which is just crazy. But we're YDK and pod. Another one of our sort of contemporary uh, podcasts, our peers. Yes, I would say they're more my Dungeons and... Well, yeah, they are our peers because they also have an Adventure Zone Dungeons and Dragons podcast that is my other podcast peer. <laughs> got it, got it. When are we going to start doing some RPG? It'll I don't probably think the you want master. to. Oh, my God. I'll be the Dungeon <gasps> Master. I love the idea of doing a podcast where you're a Dungeon Master and you have no fucking idea what you're doing. <laughs> what if we improvise... Our show where you are the dungeon master and we, oh my God, this is, this is such a great idea. Oh, okay. I'm going to have you come on and guest dungeon, a one-off dungeon master, a one-off with me and my, my dorky friends. I'm so down. Oh my God. This is going to be, do you have, do you have like this tiniest inkling of what it could be? I think I, I create the story and scenarios and then. You roll some dice and see what happens. Yes, love it. Oh, fuck. And Don't look up anything more. <laughs> this is so good. Just be prepared to be at that table for three hours. That's all. Oh, sure. Sure. With all the time I have. Great. Sign me You're up. the one who's offered it. This is fantastic. No, if we set it up right, I think that could be fun. Uh, I think that could be fun. I love uh, that. I, no I love idea that idea. It's such a clever idea. Don't steal it, Internet. Nick, what was your, what was your, if you had to say there was like a TV show that you watched that like similar to how Days and Confused kind of, you know, encapsulated what you thought your high school experience was, what was like a TV show that everyone was watching is like, oh yeah, this is us or... Or like you, everyone had to watch. What was the collective experience? The collective experience during my time, I think, was Seinfeld. Really? Yeah. Seinfeld. Now, earlier, you know, definitely there's so many sitcoms in the 80s that influenced my generation, starting with Cheers, um, you know, but then going into things like Growing Pains, Family Ties. Um, uh, oh, what was... Uh, Sheesh, what's the one with um with all the girls who were Full House? Well the Full House is on the list, yes, no, but, but that's not what I'm talking about. The one with Oh, oh my fa- gosh. Fa- good time no, the one with the girls that live in the in they, the boarding uh, house? Yes. I can't even remember all their names. Like, all I can remember is Tootie's name. Yeah. Where, else was, <laughs> where George Clooney got his start. Oh, you got um, his start on that? 
Yeah. Oh my goodness gracious. There's also things like different strokes. Uh, um, what else is? Oh, there's Family Matters. Steve Urkel, classic. Classic. But that's a little bit. A little later. Well, not even that bit, later. No, it's well, not. a little later than some of the ones that we we're just mentioning. Here. Right. Golden Girls, <laughs> by all means. Um, Designing Women. Designing women, yeah, but it that's, was on. that had more of a niche mm-hmm. audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned about that one because of Larry Jones, because yeah, the South. I mean, it, you know. it was, it was great. I don't think I watched a lot of it, but, um, um, but yeah, I think, like, I think Seinfeld really did. If you want to talk about like those game changers? I think Cheers was a game changer. Um, and all the things I just mentioned were highly influential, especially things like Family Ties. Uh, um, but Seinfeld was like, was like a right-hand turn, you know, like a sharp turn, mm. where, where it was just a, a new kind of sitcom that took a lot of chances and kind of like put what a lot of people were thinking onto TV um, in a way that hadn't been done before, that it wasn't so wholesome, it was a little bit off color and dealt with topics that maybe other sitcoms hadn't dealt with. And I think, you know, there's other um, sitcoms in, in the past that have done things like that, but for our generation, I think Are there sitcoms that have done that in the past, though? I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, well, I mean, uh, Norman, like... Norman Lear. Because um, uh, uh, All, all in, the in the Family, yeah. They, they yeah. talked about tough stuff. Oh, yeah, they went, yeah. They went right at it during a very difficult time dealing with race issues in America. Um, no, yes. There's, and in a way, way more influential than than what Seinfeld's wasn't as sort of social justice impact. It was just more um, kind of breaking the rules of television and, and allowing us to, to see things that we didn't normally see that we may, like just more. Like with Seinfeld, you never had someone talk about masturbation before. <laughs> Things like that, yes. Right. They have a whole show, whole, have a whole episode about masturbation. Right, yes. right. Uh, I guess I didn't realize how impactful that would be to a society that didn't talk about that stuff. Yeah, and everybody, in my, at least in my family, like that was one of the few things I think we all watched. I don't, you know, my dad wasn't much of a TV guy unless it was sports or news. Um, but I, th- I do remember him watching Seinfeld. I think like Seinfeld spoke to a lot of age ranges too. Yes, it sure did. I, I remember because I was very young, right? And it was like Seinfeld and Friends. So you watched yes. it because it was on. And I remember liking it. I was young in enjoying that show because it, it yeah. didn't have the same cultural impact for me, you know, systemically. But... <laughs> But my dad liked it. You liked it. I think you're right. You know, it did. I think people liked being not talked down to, right? Sure, yeah. And it was, yeah, it was, it was a show about nothing. Um, it was, yeah, it was just a show that would just kind of talk about cultural stuff that was... It, yeah, it was. I, I wish I could. I wish I had better words for it to define it. Maybe if I was more prepared to answer it. But, well, yeah, uh, no, and I kind of just wanted a candid answer anyway, because one of the first things I don't think it was on. I don't think it was on um, the podcast, but I think when we did our first doc talk, you had said I I did a Cheers reference, and this person didn't get it or didn't know the song. Mm. 
yeah. then I had revealed I had just watched Cheers for the first time ever, even I mean, though I knew the song. It's one of the greatest sitcoms of all time. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying it wasn't available to me easily. And it wasn't on it like it wasn't on syndication in the same way or something. Because <clears throat> yeah. I watch hold on. Well probably. But it was like what, on channel eight and no one watched channel eight? Yeah, you probably yeah, you probably had to have cable or whatnot, but yeah. No, we had cable. But I was watching But, like, but yeah, some you had to watch some whatever obscure cable channel at the time. Probably. Because it it wasn't on T V land and it wasn't on Nick at no, night. It wasn't old enough to be no, yeah, it wasn't. Exactly. Old to be so that's where we watched we watched you know, I Dream of Jeannie and Lucy and stuff like that. And Cheers wasn't on that. I, I, you know what I love? Welcome back, Cotter. Oh, yeah. Classic. I yeah. loved. or And uh, Mary Tyler Moore Show and that girl. I loved all those. Mm-hmm. So I should have. Like, that. that's the sitcom I should have been on is Welcome Back, Cotter, I feel like. I feel like I missed my mark. You were not old enough. Oh, I know. I'm just saying, like, in the, in the universe time, I, I just, I was born way too late. You think Born so? You think you're like a... What? <laughs> I just love the sort of... I just love the... I love those characters. I think those characters are Characters fun. are so fun. So they get to do whatever they want. It's just so It's just so much fun. Um, I'm sure there's things... I haven't watched it in years. I'm sure there's things that don't carry over well, you know. But but also they were, they were dealing with a lot of like societal stuff too. You know, mm-hmm. inner city stuff. What's that noise? Oh, that's uh, Clem playing the tambourine. Oh, great. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure it's, there wasn't a big problem. Mm-mm-mm. If it's a tambourine, she's just feeling the word of God flow through her. She's just having it. She's just, she's she's just going getting for into it. it. She's going for it. She was pumped about Welcome Back, Cotter. She's yeah, like, truly. Welcome back, welcome back. I mean, honestly, that song is so good, too. So, so then maybe... It's probably what I'm thinking is that we need a whole episode where we talk about sitcoms and then their impact on society or generations. Like, because I was, I'm really surprised that Seinfeld was the one that was the most impactful for you, like TV show. Oh like, yeah. Would you guys like co- come to school and talk about like, did you see last night's episode? Is like that? Is that how it was? Or hmm. was it a Thursday night show? Yeah, I think it must see TV. I mean, it was the marquee show eventually, right? So it didn't necessarily start that way the first season. Um, but eventually it was the marquee show. And you could maybe make the argument that Friends may not have gained its popularity without being next to, without following um, Seinfeld. You think? But, well, they but, tend, that tends to be the case anyway. Yeah, a lot of times. I mean, it could have found its own footing. But, you know, to follow Seinfeld was, a, was, was big because everybody watched it. Right, right, right. Um, and sure, I never, sure. I never really got into Friends. It's interesting. It's just slightly, it's for just like slightly out of my pocket in terms of my age. Like, I'm sure there's plenty of people my age who like did get way into Friends and loved it, but it just wasn't. It didn't speak to me the way Seinfeld did, and I didn't. I never, I never became a big Friends person. But do you like uh, know a lot of the references like most people do just with that? So interesting. I mean, I know the characters. I've seen enough episodes to know what it is. I know it can be very funny. It just never, it never appealed to me. Yeah. I guess it's kind of, I can see that being the case, especially if you like Seinfeld so much because you're like, I like, it's like a fine, after you've had a fine wine and a, a nice cigar, you can't, you can't dumb yourself down to. I'm going to again go have a wine cooler. Yeah. You can't do it. it. Bartles and James. <laughs> guess we're not going to have them sponsor us. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, 100% Friends is wine cooler stuff, but but also the physical comedy is really what you can walk away with appreciating still to this day. It's like the, the actual comedic timing of those actors is really fantastic. I, I wasn't moved by another sitcom until the original Office. Okay, that's a big thing to unpack. Most people know this, that it's not a sitcom because it's not, well, it's not a traditional three camera sitcom. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's not a sitcom. You, you said you weren't moved by a sitcom until the original office. So I'm saying it's not, I said, it, yes, it is a Just because it's not three camera doesn't mean it's a mean situational it's not. comedy, not in front of an odd. So every show sitcom we've, doesn't, doesn't make every it three show camera. we've talked about it, every show we've talked about up until the office right now has been about three camera sitcoms. Sure, but that doesn't, that's just because of the time. I'm just clarifying, but I haven't. We haven't had the single camera sitcom come into popularity or even into existence. Yeah, it didn't exist. Yeah, so. Okay, wait. Hold on. You were just saying that it's not a sitcom because it wasn't three camera. I wasn't saying that. I was just That's what I got. That's what I, that's what I I understand. I I got ahead of myself with a second thought. So some people don't know that the original American office or that the American office is not the original office, that there is the BBC version by Ricky Gervais. Now, question, did a single camera sitcom exist before the original BBC? Had to have, right? Oh, yes, yes. um, Was Arrested Development out before that? Um, Was Arrested Development one of the first? It definitely was one of the first single camera sitcoms. Was it really? I didn't realize. Because, again, I'm, I'm young enough where it was in my... Zeitgeist, where I didn't feel like this is a, like just like Seinfeld was what Seinfeld was. It wasn't. It didn't. It wouldn't change the game for me. You know. Hmm. Let's see. What was the first single camera sitcom? It's a really great trivia question. Well, it says Happy Days started as a single camera series before switching to multicam. Whoa, that's weird. And then, how about this, Ron Howard? He is the producer of Arrested Development and the narrator. So if Arrested Development is the next single cam comedian, he's a part of the iteration of both. Well, okay, but this it looks like single camera sitcoms, like Leave it to Beaver was a single camera sitcom. Fair. So we're going, we're Fair. going back. We're going back, back. Nandy Griffith show, of course. Um, wow, yeah, fair. Beverly Hillbillies, oh. Mr. Ed, Car 54, Where Are You? Uh, well, but these all had an audience, though. I guess what I'm saying is... Cause didn't, oh, I guess, well... Didn't well, yeah, they have there's... laugh tracks on some of these? Even like the Beverly Hillbillies or the Munsters, there were laugh tracks on those, right? That's interesting. Yeah, we have to do more research into this. Um, but let's try to, let's get let's get to modern times because that's really where. Yeah, where it well, here. it's it's also interesting. Yeah, I wonder which one didn't have a laugh track track now. So, oh God, how weird would it be to make a TV show with a single camera and do a laugh track? That'd be really weird. Um, so, how did because it's a BBC show? Did you see the Office? What? What's your face? Nothing. I'm just I'm trying to, to parse through all these. There's a lot more single camera sitcoms than. Then we, then we, so how did you, did you watch the BBC office before the American office? 
came out? Oh, yes. Yeah. How? Um, how would you have known about it? That's a very good question. I don't know how it came to me, but uh, but it did. Um, I eventually owned the DVDs, but when did, how did it? Did I just did I just hear about it and I go, went out and bought the DVDs? Uh, possibly. I watched it well before the, there was even talk of uh, an American version. And when the American version came out, I, this was the one time in my life where I was a little like snooty about it. It's like, oh, you like the American version? Um, because the original is so brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. And the American version became its own thing. And that's great. And it became its own thing. And I love Steve Carell. And I'm sure it was super funny. And that I'm have to find its own generation. People love it. I never watched The American Office, partly because it just, to me, was trying to imitate something that was perfection. That And, and maybe had I just let go of my sort of attachments to that, I could have allowed it to be what it was. But if you haven't seen the original Office, I mean, I do, and I love, I love Seinfeld, but I would say that original Office is maybe the best sitcom I've ever watched. Why? It's just brilliant. It's hilarious. It's brilliant. Um, I guess I judged it based on how much I enjoyed myself watching it. It's a good question. I never really defined it, but I remember having the feeling of like my top three sitcoms go the original Office, Seinfeld, Cheers. And, and now that I sit here thinking about it, I wonder if part of it is... See, with British television at that time, and I think it's the same now, like you only get two seasons. And your seasons are like six episodes each. And in the BBC. May, and just British television in yeah, general. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, I think there's shows that break that rule. Um, but I think standard, like that's kind of their standard format. Um, at least it was for, for The Office at its time. Right, right, right. And then it would have a Christmas special, so maybe it would be like seven episodes. I can't remember if it's two or three, if they ended up doing three seasons. I, th- they, I think they only did two, and then they did a special. And then they did their special. So so one, it's like super easy to digest. Um, and there's an, and because of that, there's a narrative. And I know that there's a lot of narratives in in other sitcoms. But when you have a sitcom, like the Seinfeld narrative, there's a narrative in Seinfeld, but, you know, you're stretching over nine seasons. Is there a narrative in in Seinfeld? Yeah, you know, like there are narratives that exist and then evolve, like relationships that he would have and then that would move on. There there is a narrative, but it's not a satisfying narrative. It's not like you don't go there for the narrative. But the narrative does kind of give you sort of frame of reference, gives you callbacks, it gives you sort of trajectory, you know, and in, and in the end, you know, the final Seinfeld did its best to try to like, wrap know, to it all end, up, to wrap it all up. And, you know, it was funny, but it wasn't satisfying. Like those are never satisfying and people should never ex- expect them to be. You, you have um, to do it the Bob Newhart way where you wake up and go, the whole thing was a dream. Oh yeah. The, the classic <laughs> or the Dallas, right? Or did Dallas the, do it that way? The classic, don't ever do that as a writer. Yeah. If you're writing a story, don't ever do that. Maybe they got away with it, but don't ever make your audience feel like everything they watched didn't matter. You mean Roseanne did that too, right? Didn't Roseanne? Did, did it? Was the same I think thing? they killed um, Jack, whatever his name is. I guess they, I guess, 
apparently, I never watched the show, but um, Roseanne, it ends with her finishing writing the story of her life. And we find out that her husband has been dead this whole time. And she's been writing what their life would have been if he was alive. <laughs> Holy fuck. And then try to explain bringing them back, you know, <laughs> two years ago. Right. I mean, it's, it's usually just some sort of like Cop clever out. way. Well, it was a, like, it's a clever way of trying to end it. You know, Seinfeld's final thing is they all end up in prison. Right. So that, Which is so odd. It's just odd, but it's like to say like they always kind of viewed these them as horrible people. Right. So they're horrible people who got their comeuppance, right? Right, right. And it's kind of funny and clever, but it's not satisfying and it right. doesn't fully work. But I don't blame them, whatever. It's so, so hard to try to figure that out. But when you have something like The Office where it's just a tighter narrative, I can't, I can't honestly, I can't remember how it ends. And if I did, I probably shouldn't ruin it for anybody because it's so easy to watch. But I remember being having an emotional response as well as laughing. Like, it just did it. I mean, Ricky Gervais is brilliant. And there are, he's had some misses since, because nobody's perfect. But that was, a, that was a moment of brilliance, how that show came into being. And, and, and um, yeah, sometimes you just, you just strike brilliance, and, and that was it. Yeah, I, I, just out of, like, political correctness and just covering all of our bases. Uh, Ricky Gervais is also a very polarizing person. He's also said some things against uh, the transgender community, but also it's hard to find the line. I try to do my research on those things because I really love Ricky Gervais a lot. I, like, I think he, I love his humor and I love that he's an asshole, you know, but also mm-hmm. he's the nicest, you know, cares about animal person. So it's like a hard to, it's hard to find the fine line between is he making a joke or or a statement. Um, and I welcome other people going, like, pointing to the, this is, no, this is him being super aggressive past towards people. I also want to live in a world where if someone says something dumb, they should be able to go, hey, I'm educated now. You know, like, like we should mm-hmm. live in that world. Uh, but have you ever watched Derek? No. Which was, was said at one of his more recent shows. Yeah, because I think he did, I don't know what the other one is on that's on Netflix right now. And I don't, Net, Derek, I think they ended up squeezing a third season in there. Uh, but it's basically him playing a mentally challenged person. And um, and it's set in a nursing home. Oh, yeah, I watched a little bit of that. Yeah, I think that's maybe some one of the things that I was referring to in my mind that's a miss. <laughs> oh, I couldn't disagree with you more. I thought, oh, is it good? I thought it was personally. I thought it was brilliant, and I thought it was it was emotional. Yeah, maybe. It, maybe yeah, it was heavy, man. It was heavy, emotional, brilliant. Showed a side of a world that we tend to look away from, including like you know nursing homes and stuff like that. It was just really incredible, in my opinion. Mm. But but that the love affair, I think. Maybe I watched that and then the British office because then I start going, oh, well, whatever this guy does, I love, you know, like it just start, I got I, I like went all in. And then I think his new show is Afterlife. And I've seen the first season and I, and I enjoyed it. It's a little bit it's a little bit more laborsome, laborious, but enjoyable. I've heard good things about it. And I, you know, maybe I'm speaking too soon on Derek. I, maybe it's just. It's a personal thing. I, I just, I just think it's really wonderful. I thought it was really well done. You could write it off as like, why is he acting like this? Or maybe he shouldn't play nowadays. I don't think he, you should play. Uh, I, I guess it's not mentally challenged. It's mentally disabled, right? Um, 
you shouldn't play mentally disabled if you're not mentally disabled, right? Um, that's like the, that's, that's where that's, we're at right now. That's where we're at right now. Yeah. That's what um, um, although what I, I think he does really well is play that role with a lot of empathy and truth and he's not making fun of them. Well, that, I mean, this is where part of it comes from is that like, there is a, he has a vulnerability inside of him that you can connect with. Yeah. And, and for as horrible as his character is in the office. You get where he's coming from. You, you you empathize with this guy yeah. and that is not that is hard to do yeah um yeah especially when you look like i loved watching all the blooper reels of ricky gervais laughing you can just because like think about it he's really he's a brash asshole right that's why they keep on having him like host was it the golden globes that he hosts and he's just mm-hmm, a total dick so. he totally rips people apart i love that i fucking love it because his heart's probably gigantic and again, no one's perfect. I get it. Please educate me. I welcome it. But he laughs and he breaks so easily. And probably at himself too. But that's a huge heart that you're dealing with. So to be able to like show us some angles of people that aren't perfect and still get us to understand them. So then I'm seeing the pattern, Nick. For you, the office, Seinfeld, and Cheers. Because even to Danson's character... Not typical, not not what we would be told we should love in a man mm. as a woman. Or like we might, we will love him. We want to fuck him. But you're getting to see a different side of the bachelor life, right? And he's the hero. I don't know. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I could see that. A, a, a little bit unlikable people, but finding the empathy in them. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's interesting. Did we just did we, did we just discover something about me? I don't know. Yeah, exactly I'm what trying it is, to, but it's exactly. I'm trying to to just to like deduce that or you know reduce it. We're gonna we're gonna make the reduction sauce out of that because you are not someone that has rough edges and and you know you're not like someone who's got to build a palette in order to hang out with you. Like you're very palatable. So it's interesting that you like these TV shows you revere these TV shows about learning how to palette different people. Hmm. It's interesting. It might just be, there's like different schools of thought with us. Like, you know, since we're both actors, like other people talk about like pinpoint the three movies you love the most or three, you know, this, in this case, three television shows. Those are the kind of stories you like to tell or those are your beliefs about life. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I do think that I do like those types of stories. I do like, I do like, complex characters who you know are flawed but yet come from a genuine place you know so did you just like not like the american office i just didn't watch it Mm. you know i just i just didn't watch it so and that's it was part of my own prejudice it was also partly like it was coming out during a time where i wasn't watching a lot of tv anyway Mm mm-hmm think what just post-college for me and which is you know not i just wasn't watching tv partly because i just didn't have cable i also didn't it was during a period of my life where i was like i don't want to have tv in my life um and then later i realized oh no it's important for my career to watch tv so i should probably watch it totally i, I used to do i did that with commercials or like fuck commercials i was like oh i need to, <laughs> I need to watch them 
Um, but yeah, you know, but it's not, it, I mean, like I didn't watch Arrested Development. That was similar time period, I believe. Uh, there's a lot of TV I didn't watch during that time. Yeah, but most people didn't watch Arrested Development, which is why it was canceled. And that was like the first show that attempted to do a narrative like really succinctly over that. Like it was really hard. People were used to not tuning into TV every single week. And if you didn't tune into one episode of Arrested Development, you missed a fucking complete through line of their story and an inside joke that they then reference. So, like, Arrested Development is perfect for our binge-watching styles. You know, I actually watch this, I watch TV shows with this thought. If we were watching most of the TV shows that we watch today on streaming channels, but we watch them once a week you wouldn't have as many callbacks and throwbacks and writing styles if it weren't for us being able to watch it right after the next one episode right after the next, because oh, yeah. we wouldn't be able to keep up with so many things. Yeah. I'm sure they, I'm sure they take that into consideration in the writing. Room. They have to. Cause, cause, cause if you, if you're, if you're going to, otherwise, if you're going to do like a soap or something, you need to like, remember when you betrayed me two weeks ago, you need mm-hmm. to like, Mm-hmm. gingerly talk about that thing narratively so that it makes sense, but so that the audience is caught up. Yeah. And you don't have to do that as much with Netflix or Hulu or anything. It's just interesting. And Arrested Development was that first kind of taste of it, but they, but it ends up getting canceled because it didn't at the first go around because it didn't, it didn't stick with people. It was too hard for people to keep up with people that yeah. got it, got it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I did, I think during that time, I did somehow acquire the complete DVD set of Seinfeld. Oh. And I did watch it from beginning to end. Wow. Because I wanted to see how a sitcom evolved over that time. And I guess, I'd, I, I guess I would say it is a little bit more work than the binge-worthy type stuff we watch today. Um, but if you enjoy something, it's not that hard to watch. Yeah, it wasn't laborious for me, but it wasn't as like, I wasn't watching it like, you're not watching it like after you finish an episode, ooh, I got to see what happens on the next episode, right? You're watching it and you're, because each episode is kind of unto its own, but yet there is a thread. I was more watching it to see like how a sitcom develops over time, mm-hmm. how the writing develops, and, you know, and I watched all the special features back when <laughs> there were special features. You know, interviews with the cast and commentary and, you know, and all that stuff. It's not different. It's not any different than buying an album and reading all the liner notes and stuff like that. When you are obsessed with something, of course you watch all the Easter eggs and the DVDs. So much fun. Yeah. It's not a thing anymore. I mean, it is still a thing, but no, who does it? Well, now you Google and you watch two videos or when I would like, for me, it evolved. Because like, I remember watching Moulin Rouge, getting the DVD. And then getting both the soundtracks and then trying to going through each page, trying to find the Easter eggs, literally pressing each button, <laughs> you know, up, forward, down, right, uh, to see if there was a fucking Easter egg off of every menu option on every page. And I found them all. But before that, it was like, you know, you buy a CD and you're looking at Jagged Little Pill and you're like looking at the whole album. You read the books, you know, back and front. And and then... As I got older, I remember watching a Jane Austen movie for the first time. The first movie that I saw was Joe Wright's uh, Pride and Prejudice. And I went, I love Matthew McFadden. And I, I 
create a Tumblr for Pride and Prejudice and then obsessed over it that way, like pulled all these pictures, uh, <laughs> got obsessed with David Tennant. So like there was different ways to get get myopic on things. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. it's just, oh, let me Google that. Maybe it's just because I'm older. It doesn't, it, I don't need to obsess in the same way, but. We have a Tumblr sighting. <laughs> Oh, it's an app that still still is around, but I I've never really fully understood it. But some people love it. The people that use it definitely do understand it. Yeah, yeah. It's is its own language, but also not really. Yeah, it's its own language. It's it's got its own thing, not dissimilar from how Reddit has its own language too. It really, it, it, <laughs> I've fallen off the Tumblr. <laughs> You've tumbled off. The I've tumbled Tumblr. off the Tumblr. Um. Anyway, yeah. I, I, I'm surprised, but not like shocked uh, at your choices of impactful TV. It's fascinating. What's your top three? <laughs> Grey's Anatomy, the original series of Star Trek, <laughs> and probably Arrested Development. I guess. Okay, now I didn't specify sitcom. I just said top three, but you gave me non sitcoms. Yeah, yeah, because I've seen Grey's Anatomy twice through now at this point. Which is insane. 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 So many episodes. There's so many episodes. And it's, and I love, I could start again right now. I love it so much. Um, But then, yeah, so it's like, like Grey's Anatomy is the only one that I would like, I'll, I think Friends is up there too. So I think actually Friends would replace Arrested Development. I love Arrested Development, but I don't know that I love Arrested Development as much as other people love Arrested Development. Mm-hmm. So it's probably like four. I could also watch, I could though, however, excuse me, watch every single Friends episode over and over again too. So it's probably Friends, Grey's Anatomy, and what was the third one I said? Obviously it doesn't, it must not be. Oh shoot, what was it? Oh, start some sort of Star Trek. Oh, Star Trek: The Original Series. Maybe that's more nostalgia based. Maybe top five: Grey's Anatomy, Friends, Arrested Development, Star Trek: The Original Series. Oh, and X Files. I was going to say at some point. I was going to bring up X Files. It needs um, to be X Files. And I was, then I was like, wait, is she too young for X Files? She can't be too. You know. I directed it. Yeah, yeah. And the X-Files improvised. So to be fair, so, so for, for those of you that don't know, and we've talked about it a million different times, Nick and I are um, improvisers. And Nick and I first met because I improv- I was on the original series Star Trek. Uh, no, the Next Generation Star Trek improvised show called The Improvised Generation. And then when I saw what they were doing with The Improvised Generation, I was like, fuck, X-Files should be this. We should do this as, as X-Files. I watched X-Files as a kid. Don't get me wrong. But everyone thought I was this crazy in love with X-Files person because I wanted to do X-Files. So I didn't correct people when they thought that. But I don't know X-Files as well as people think I do. (laughs) I like it a lot. And David Duchovny is very good looking. Um, And I watched plenty of it. I just, I'm one of those, I was one of those bad students that'd be like, yes, I read all the Tennessee Williams books. But no, I'd read one or I, I was in a play. So I know how to improvise it now. So, bad student. I'm not a bad student. I'm really smart. I don't waste my time. (laughs) You're efficient. I'm efficient. (laughs) Of course, I'd watch episodes of X Files 
to then direct it. But really, once you got the formula, you didn't need to overwatch it, you know? You didn't need to be an expert. Sure. Well, you know, you know that production was through basically this this program that like paired you up with an advisor who was there to help advise. And I was the advisor. Do you, do you know that? I do know that. And uh, you guys took a and lot of my advice. You begrudged every second of it. it was I did not hard. begrudge it, it at hard. all. It was hard to get you to a rehearsal. <laughs> no, I, that's, I, I, hey, I had the opposite experience where it was like I'd come and you guys had all your, all your ducks in a row and, you know, and I, I didn't, you know, it felt like I, if I were to give you, like, it felt like I'd be stepping on toes to give you my thoughts on it. And I was like, oh, but they got, I, you know, you got, you, you, you had a great concept. You had your, your shit together. Um, and you were running rehearsals. Great. So it's like, well, what, what am I going to bring here? Um, and, and I kind of felt like that I'm not going to lie. I also felt a little bit like, Hey, we got this. We don't necessarily need you. Yeah. So if I, if I can give you a snapshot of what my experience was. <laughs> yeah, I love these opposite experiences. <laughs> was I had this idea and everyone's like, it's a great idea. I know it got streamlined because people that could make it streamlined wanted to be in it. They're like, this is great. Let's make it happen. And I, and I knew that. I used that to my, you know, ability. But I wasn't allowed to direct it by myself because I wasn't skilled enough. And so I got <laughs> – I love my co-director. So this is no shade to my co-director, but I had to have a co-director. I had to have a lead director. So the show was di- taken away from me even. And the person the, the the reason you felt that was because of the style of the person that you were working with that that I was working with. Yes, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I think I'm I- very collaborative. Wouldn't you say that about the our, oh, our certainly, experience? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Not you know thinking about that, it also made me think like because there were two directors, it was like, and it seemed like you guys, you know, had what you wanted to do. It was like, do we need too many cooks in the kitchen? Yeah, like to the point where the first season, I, I think I only ran one rehearsal, and that was just because it wasn't available, and it was mostly like, great, this is the show. Mm-hmm. And and that being said. He wasn't a dictator because, he, again, he's one of my very good friends that I love. And we got to work on this thing. And it was a great time. But I very early on realized that this is his show and his vision. And, you know, and we get to work together. And how can I support him in that? <laughs> I was a little, you know, a couple times I was like, you're not good enough to do this show, even though you brought it to us. And, and I get it. <laughs> like, I even had uh, I had uh, the actor's nightmare where I would pair scripted actors with improvisers and the improvisers wouldn't know what they were improvising. So they would just have to respond to, you know, scripted lines and see if they can make a scene out of it. Uh, and then I had, I had a, I had a, like an advisor above that too. I was like, you guys, what, 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 what have I not done? To... <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so your, your insights were really great, but I can, I also could sense that you were like, I don't know. You know? Well, I, I, I wasn't made to feel like, anybody wanted my input to be honest with you I was not made to feel that way so when I would come to rehearsal and 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 I could sense that there was no ever no one was ever really checking in with me or saying 
here's what we think. There was no conversation like that. I was like, okay, well, let me just watch for anything that seems glaringly off. And there wasn't anything that was glaringly off. I may have had some thoughts I might have wanted to give, but they weren't. They were I remember just, emailing you and asking for your feedback too, so that I could then like uh, incorporate it and give it to my co-director. Um, I, I what I remember about that show and that our actors felt it was the a that it was fun, but it was also incredibly difficult to improvise. And this is like something improv always taught. It's very hard to improvise a mystery. It's very hard to improvise a mystery. Mm-hmm. So that was the majority of our quote-unquote difficulty it was an enjoyable show i thought people really you know i thought it did well um and then second season was even better you know it got better Uh, i mostly directed that up season uh because my co-director had a lot going on personally so i actually had to i didn't have like the luxury of prepping as uh, though i was going to be the director but like all of a sudden i was the director that day because he couldn't arrive so it was an interesting shift of dynamics well, you guys, it was a successful show, right? People, oh, yeah. People oh. liked it. Everybody had a good time. You had a good audience. I think it was very successful. It just is interesting, the um, the dynamics that, that were experienced. It was, a lot, it was a really interesting learning lesson. Well, totally. It was also at a time when... We didn't know what the studio was. That program, you know, was, you know, it was very early on in that program and, and understanding, like, how, how to move forward with things we were the second flagship show you know what i mean mm-hmm. like and you guys anyway this, this is more into the weeds than our audience needs it to be uh but the, some of the episodes are up on youtube you be the judge nick is a guest in one of them uh i have a oh, picture yeah. of it of did you I become like, was it i become a tree at some point or is that something else Ooh, i don't know if i remember because i don't i don't think Star i was in Trek your episode, episode. <laughs> you might have become a tree I feel like there's something where I became like a tree tree monster. I don't know. I can't remember. I, just, <laughs> I don't know. If you haven't seen Nick improvise yet, you're missing out. Please tell us about if you'd like. We can, even, will do, we can punt it. I will do my best to okay. tell this story. This is, um, I'm going to leave out some details. We're going to leave out some details I wouldn't for full public consumption. I wouldn't have known if you didn't say. <laughs> I, but I haven't thought yet which details I'm going to leave out. So You'll we'll know see. as you get to there. We'll see. We'll see. But I think early on, I don't know if it was in this podcast or if it was on Doc Talk. You had asked, like, hey, what what stories do you like to tell? Oh, yeah. Like or are you a storyteller? Are you, like, you're your friend's storyteller? This is a story that I often get get pimped oh. to tell by other people. Hey, tell that story. Dude. Oh, so this is what you were thinking when I asked you that. This is one of those. Okay. This is one of those. Great. But it's more of, like, a bar story than it is. Okay, so I have story. a drink in my hand. I have. I, oh, actually, last night I had a, drink, a dream that I was drinking a lot of whiskey. So I'm drinking a lot of whiskey right now. Um, but we don't have a ton of time. I'll give you the abbreviated version. So this is all, this is our time. We can do whatever we want. I can't remember if it was around my birthday or not. I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't think it wasn't a birthday celebration. May 3rd. But, but May 3rd. But I think it might have been in that, in that area. Mid twenties. I was getting over a relationship mm. and, um, mm. and a couple friends of mine, um, and the three of us were, we were, uh, we were a bit reckless. We were kind of like, 
in the zone, so to speak. In our and you were 20s. in LA, right? This is in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, and two of my closest friends still to this day. Um, mm. But uh, but these two guys that you know, I don't know how to describe them, but uh, let's just say I introduced the two of them, and there was a there was a part of me of when I introduced them. I did it intentionally because I knew that they would be good friends and I could kind of back off a little bit on my relationship with either of them because the intensity of our mid-20s was pretty high. And I needed, I, you know, I couldn't... You needed a respite. I needed a respite. So let them, you know, ping, you know, ping pong, pinball off each other a little bit. Let me breathe a little bit, you know. Because um, I couldn't necessarily totally keep up with either of them. But anyways, when the three of us were together, it was fire. Um, so we're, so they're taking me out, helping me, you know, move on, um, move forward or get over my relationship. And uh, so we go, we go out, go out to the bars. Uh, do people know Los Angeles? So we started, uh, we went out to West Hollywood, Santa Monica Boulevard. Now, this may not be the place you would think three straight guys would go to. Well, there's the Troubadour down there. Yeah, we know that's too far, too far west. Oh, no, we were in the we were in the heart of WeHo of WeHo, San Francisco. Okay. okay, okay, because one of my friends had the concept that that. that <gasps> there, there would be straight women with their gay friends, and you would hit on the straight women. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Because the straight women would go, I don't want to be hit on by anyone tonight, so I'm going to go out with my gay friends. But then they would get there and they'd feel like, How come no one's hitting on me? I'm around all these gay guys. Really, and- not a bad. Honestly, it would work for me. I'd be like, You're straight? I would be so excited. I right and you know one of my friends. This is not like this wasn't. This was a tested and proven way of going about it. Now he was also somebody who had a large group of gay friends, so he would often be the straight guy at these gay. So it Got wasn't it. like you know it wasn't like some sort of like devious thing or whatnot. But he had been in that position so many times and was like, oh, this is a great way to meet. Now part <laughs> part of the way you you do it though is. You kind of have to flirt with everybody. Like you can't just. Ooh. So you have to be like outgoing, almost like you're the gay guy. Yes, you have to. You had to generate the energy. Right. You couldn't just be that weirdo who was like looking for the straight girls because you know. Because that's weird. Because it's weird. Yeah. It is weird. And you know we're we're all very comfortable in our sexuality and whatnot and. Um, so you'd make so, out with a couple guys and then like, Hey baby. Sure. Why not? <laughs> no, but there were, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't want to get into the specifics, but like the flirting that night was off the charts. Oh my was, God. And it didn't matter who you were. We just, we were just like, just flirt with everybody. Oh my God. Um, Did you flirt with your friend who, with, with who your friends were flirting with? And <laughs> I mean, I don't, I just, it was, it turned, you know, it, it was, was a, a flirt. It was, a, it was a lot. I mean, and, and I'm just going to, all I'm going to say is. He was right. It worked. <laughs> so all I'm going to say is his technique worked. Um, and it was, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to describe this night. Um, it was crazy. Anyways, it was a crazy night. So granted, we, we drank a lot. 
we drank a lot that night. And at the end of the night, we returned back <laughs> to Barney's Beanery. Oh my where god! My, where, I, where my car was parked, um, and <laughs> at the time, I was doing a lot of capoeira. Um, I'm sorry. What? Yeah, there's a little bit of a <laughs> what's a capoeira? A little bit of a tangent here. You don't know what capoeira is? Uh-uh. Capoeira I guess no one else does a, either. People, some, some people do. Capoeira is a Brazilian martial art that is disguised as a dance. No. Okay. So it's a dance martial art. Um, <laughs> I can't. You've never heard of capoeira? No one ever has either. <laughs> Anyways, uh... So it's a dance that's disguised as a martial art. Yada yada. Look up Capoeira. I think it's pretty. Whatever. It's it's laughable. It's definitely laughable. But it is also fascinating. So anyway, so we're in the parking lot, and at this time, for whatever reason, you know, when you're when you're into something physical, like sometimes you you want to do the moves. So I I was in the parking lot uh, doing spin kicks in the parking lot. Um, and I did this one spin kick where, you know, you, you do a full spin around where in the halfway in the middle of my spin, I didn't realize there was a curb there. No, my foot caught the curb and I'm in, you know, you're in full momentum. My foot caught the curb, sent me flying. And I literally went face first into a brick wall. So I didn't land on the ground. I landed halfway towards the ground into the wall. Fuck. Fuck. Um, and then they're like, oh my God, are you okay? Are you okay? You okay? You know? And I, (laughs) I stood up and I said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then like, apparently the eyes, my eyes rolled into the back (gasps) of my head and I just passed out backward and then smacked the back of my head on the concrete. No, no. (laughs) And now they are, they're concerned um as they should be um and then they're like we should get you we should get you to the hospital i'm like no 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 i'm waiting for my insurance to come in i don't have insurance right now i can't go to the hospital had i known that you (laughs) once you apply for the insurance from the time you apply to to actually comes in like i actually probably was in a window where i would have been fine on my insurance but i thought i thought i wasn't so i was like we can't go i don't have i don't have insurance just go home i'll be fine um, so they take me home, and apparently I do the one thing you probably shouldn't do. Is go to sleep. Is go to sleep. <laughs> um, fortunately, they know well enough to... Keep an eye on you? Or? To stay with me. And they stayed with me in my small studio apartment, oh. you know. Where was your apartment? This was in Los Feliz. Oh. Um, and, uh, and I... I mean, I went to bed with a paper towel on the front of my head and a paper towel on the back of my head. Why? Because you were bleeding? Because I was bleeding, yes. On both places? On both sides of my head. Unbelievable. And I passed out. Um, God. I mean, this this is, you know, like this is, you know, in scripts, uh, you know, there's a there's a sort of formula for writing, t- you know, movie scripts. Um, and Blake Snyder wrote a book called Save the Cat. Anyways, he maps out the beats yeah, of, yeah, of yeah. a movie script. There's a beat called Dark 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 Night of the Soul. Yeah. 
Where, anyways, I don't know if that's exactly, I can't remember, but it's a moment where your hero has a brush with death, which kind of like shows you the, like, and the, sort of the journey of your character. They come face to face with death or they have a brush with death. It doesn't always literally look like somebody who could have died. You know, there's also egoic death. There's emotional death. There's other, other ways of looking at it. But in my hero's journey, this is my brush with death because who, I mean, I, I, there's a very high probability with the amount of alcohol I drank and the concussion that I had that I didn't wake up from that, from that slumber. But anyways, I do wake up with the biggest headache you can possibly imagine. And I go to the bathroom and I look in the mirror and, you know, I, I peel off these paper towels and I, and I have a hole in my forehead. I have a, just an open. Stop. Can you see your skull? Hole. Not that deep, but you see basically just a quarter size, a quarter size hole right there. And I look and I literally had this thought. I was like, my acting career is over. Oh, I guess I could just be a full time director. Maybe that'll. <laughs> of course, of course. But, but yes, one of my friends who's with me is the son of perhaps one of the best plastic surgeons Shut in Southern California. Up. And I said, hey, can we call your dad? Call your dad and see. <laughs> it's Saturday. <laughs> he gives him a call. He's on the golf course. And he's like, well, yeah, well, let me just finish up my round of golf and I'll, I'll meet you at the office. No. And, uh, and so we drive the long drive to Thousand Oaks. Oh my gosh, every little bump, every little turn <gasps> caused aches inside of so me. So did you have and... a concussion? Oh, yes. Yes. Two? 100%. I'm po- I mean possibly. I was I was um I was also hungover and inebriated. Fuck. And uh anyway, so we get out there, we go to his office, and it's, it's total mafia style, right? Cuz the lights are off, no one's there. It's just us. And, and the doc, and he, and he looks at it and goes, I think I can do something about that. Oh, my God. Now, mind you, before this, he had warned. He was like, if you wait too long, you can't do stitches. And we're like, right. oh, shit, did we wait too long? Should have gone straight to the hospital, yada, yada. So he looks at it and goes, I can do something about this. And he goes, lays, lays down, and, like, it's just, <laughs> it's just him. There's no nurse. There's nothing. You know, he's fixing up the, the, the local anesthetic and, you know, just... You know, numbs it up, gets the scissors, snip, snip. I see oh my pieces goodness. of my skin off the side. Oh, because he had to probably make it a fresher cut. Yeah, he had, yeah, had to make it a clean cut. Sews it up. You know, come back in two weeks, we'll take a look. Snip now, I thought you were going to say that the reason your nose is fucked up. is <laughs> 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 because you <laughs> pancaked into a wall. I'm just I'm just currently thinking about my father listening to this story going oh my god they haven't heard it before no I don't think my father's ever heard this story it's not as bad as I thought this was going to be but it is a pretty good it's pretty bad (laughs) I'm curious what you imagined it was I don't really know I mean, it's pretty, well, it's pretty stupid and silly. The Capoeira kick is hilarious. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Um, and then the, this, 
you know, visiting the doctor in the office. Now, mind you, so I go back for my checkup. This okay. Is, this is the like little, little. Oh yeah, we're not done. I just was sharing my observations. What I did, what I left out is his specialty as a plastic surgeon. Our next implants. Oh, so he accidentally put a breast in your, <laughs> which is that, which is my, what you see in my nose. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> uh, so I come back there and it is just filled with beautiful women, either getting or have, having gotten. <laughs> oh my goodness. And they're all like, Oh, doctor. Thank you so much. You have magic hands, you know. <laughs> and I tell you, he does have magic hands. I went in there. He looked at it. He goes, "Oh, it's healing nicely. You're, you're just you'll, you'll be just fine." And look, look at my forehead. No Do one you see a hole. There's no hole there, bro. There. You look great. You look great. I'm so proud Nothing. of you. And now I was fortunate that I that it it, it was kind of by the eyebrow line. Mm. So you can't, but you can't. There's no line you can see. You know, brilliant, brilliant hands. Forever indebted to that man. Um. I then had maybe uh, several months of pain um, to c- overcome the concussion, which allowed me the time to reflect on my behavior and think about my path forward in life. Um, and, and that was my hitting the wall. That was my turning point. Wow. I was, I was like, you know what? I think... Uh, it, slowed, I think I, it slowed you down. Yeah. It is interesting because my my quote unquote hitting the wall was like as I mentioned last week was hitting a car, <laughs> and uh, and I was sad about a boy. See what is, what's with these relationships? It it just was it, it what it did though, and this can happen. I this the way, what I've learned in life, and you were a life there best coach person so you coach. probably have better okay so you probably have better experience with regards to this but from what i can tell when people hit these kind of like major rock bottoms or because that's a version of rock bottom when you literally hit something oh yes you can have emotional rock bottom you know so you either spin into the positive side like you know you, you sometimes spin immediately out to like i gotta fucking change something or some somebody can go further deeper into self-pity and sadness. Yeah. So it sounds like for both of us, for the most part, we went, let's, the second I hit that car, I went, fuck that guy and and went, let's follow my life, you know? Yeah. Did you ever think about that girl that broke your heart before then? Wait, what did I ever think? Well, the girl that broke your heart. But what did you say? Did I ever think about her? Wait, After that happened, did, were you as sad? Oh, well, actually, well, see, this was a different situation where, like, I broke up with her. So so there was a period where it was like I needed, you know, where maybe we blurred the lines a little bit because we, I needed the emotional support during that time. She needed the emotional support. You guys got back together? We got back to for not – we didn't get back but together. But you were but. sad and lonely. We're still friends to this day. We were close. Right. We were close. We were I got close it. I got it. I hear you. Yeah, yeah some yeah. relationships, like my first major relationship, I fell out of love with him in year one, but stayed with him for two more years because I loved him, you know. And mm. and so there was a mutual. There was like a lot of trust and love, and and res- respect kind of went away on my end. But uh, 
but then, you know, subsequent relationships were unhealthy, very unhealthy, like mostly lust based. So some are good and you would be friends with that person forever. And some are just not that, you know, there's all sorts of different kinds of love. Well, I think we, I think we, I think she would agree with this. We both helped each other through that transition. I get, I hear that. I was just talking to a 24 year old about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, but based on what you just said, maybe someday I'll tell you about sort of my theory of, um, of, of the Adam and Eve story. And, and when you come into, when you come into knowledge, you, what options you have and, and how that might affect your life and, and, and how this affects people, um, psychologically as they grow up when they have traumatic experiences at a younger age. And things wow. Like that. I, I'm fascinated. And it sounds like almost an addendum to our eventual religious deep dive. But but also, we could just talk about it in our show. <laughs> sure. Maybe it'll be a teaser for the deep dive. It could be. Well, Nicholas, um, I w- I'm going to say you drove the engine this week. So thank you for that. No, I think you drove. Well, wait, I think you, were th- you were the substance. And I was you're, you're the, driver. the casing. <laughs> now you're doing a sausage reference? Yeah. You were the sausage and I was the casing. I think it, I think I, I was more the meat and you were the grinder. <laughs> no. no, yeah, I think that's right. I think you got the, the you had the meat and potatoes and I was the gravy. Yeah, you ground you ground me up. Mm-hmm. Forced me to t- tell a vulnerable story about it. I didn't force you to do shit. You forced. I, I, I didn't did have it. a choice. You, <laughs> I didn't have a choice. I thought people would forget. We have an that audience. Last week. No, dude. I can't. I remember everything you say. <laughs> oh man. That's that's going to be a problem for years to come. This is me remembering everything you say. <laughs> okay, Nick. Have a great rest of your week. Well, as I contemplate my life. And the choices I've made. In the I'm past. Look, looking forward to many, many a text. <laughs> <laughs> I need a Capueta picture if you have one. Oh, of me doing it? Yeah. No, no. I'll send you a picture of somebody who's good at it doing okay, it. Okay, great. Great. Bye, right. Nick. Bye, Jess. Nichols, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Nick and I really love doing this podcast for you. We love doing it together. We love talking about what the generational experience is like from different perspectives. And we really look forward to hearing from different things that you have to contribute to us as well. If you become a patron today, you could ask us questions if you're at a certain tier. You can get early access to episodes if we're able to get them done in time for you. You'll get sick-ass merch. And if we can find the time a monthly deep dive where Nick and I go deep on topics that we're passionate about but aren't necessarily through the generational lens. Become a patron today. Become an official nickel. Go to patreon.com slash you don't own Nick to find out more ways you can support our podcast. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Nichols. Now that was a JLV production.